The Disciplined Investor is underwritten by Interactive Brokers. Trade crypto for less coin on Interactive Brokers. Commissions just 12 to 18 basis points with no hidden spreads, markups, or custody fees. Learn more at ibkr.com slash crypto. And this episode is sponsored by Our Crowd. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Join the fastest-growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com slash TDI. That's OurCrowd.com slash TDI. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Investors panic to cover shorts, then panic and sell. Turkey drops rates again and the markets plunge. The Fed, well, and the Fed, well, and the Fed. Our guest to help us with all this, Danielle DiMartino Booth from Quill Intelligence. All this and much more on episode number 745 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Welcome to the last few weeks of 2021. We're heading into the Christmas season, and then we have a holiday shortened week next week. And of course, we're heading into the last week of the year, the following week. And yes, it will be a full week because the markets are always open on the final day of the year. Andrew Horowitz here, and thanks so much for joining me each and every week on the Disciplined Investor Podcast, as well as DH Unplugged. And, um, we got to get down to what is going on in the markets because a lot of people have been asking, you know, what are we seeing? Why is it happening? What's going on? And is this going to be something that is going to end in a good way or a bad way? And there's going to be a lot of volatility that we're going to see towards the end of the year because what you have is a lot of trading that needs to be done to balance the books, to make sure that the taxes are taken into consideration, tax loss harvesting, buying and selling, things that go on during this time of year are often, I would say, functions of accounting, mechanical. They're not necessarily absolute bets on a particular thing. So some of that noise that is involved in markets right now, we really need to take out of the equation. So kind of go with me on this. And really, when you see all that goes on, the intraday volatility, let's just stick a pin in it, put it aside, and see how we do January 15th, as we subside with all the January effect, the rebuy-ins after we get beyond the wash sale dates. But there's also a lot of confusion that's happening right now as well, because there are some indications that things have changed. And people are asking what's going on. For example, I mean, there's the question that has been coming up a lot about why are rates dropping if the Fed is talking about pulling back on their quantitative easing program? You know, the bond buying and potentially raising rates earlier than expected. Talking about now three potential rate increases in 2022. That's being priced into the markets. And when we look at the Fed funds 
probability spectrum, clearly showing about three increases starting in about May. Then you'll have another one in August, September, and then one in December. That's what the plots are showing at this point, and that's what the markets are relying on as what they think is going to happen. And by the way, even if that does happen, think about it for a second. That's really not a substantial amount when you consider the strength of the economy where it's been. Now, whether or not it's slowing down a bit from here, but generally speaking, when we look at a 1% or sub 1% Fed funds rate, that is usually an emergency circumstance, very accommodative. Zero, another story entirely. But yes, we are going from the zero bound all the way up to about 75 basis points or 1%, and that will have implications on the markets. And why is that happening? Is it because that there's concern about the markets and the volatility, and therefore what we're seeing is that people are buying bonds and shifting over to that, thereby pushing down rates down to the 1.356 range? Even though the Fed says they're raising, why would that happen? Or is it something maybe aligned with foreign governments where we're seeing that, you know what, we still have positive rates, and they think that the economy around the globe is slowing down for one reason or the other, and therefore they want to buy bonds, and you know what, the arbitrage from a negative yielding 10-year, 5-year, 2-year from Europe or maybe even Japan into our bonds here, which have a positive yield of 1.2%, 1%, maybe something that's worthwhile. Or is this entirely about something else? Is it, is it have nothing to do with the Fed at all? And, for example, many people are starting to think that what's going on that makes sense in this, it really doesn't. Is it maybe potentially what is being talked about in the media that we are seeing a major increase in a rapid escalation in the case count, the hospitalizations, or this COVID variant, and therefore, what's happening is, well, maybe that there's a scare going on there. And I think a lot of this, if you really think about the various things that are pushing and pulling the markets, make a lot of sense. And I'll, and I'll give you some examples here. The day of the Fed meeting this week on Wednesday, about two or three hours before the Fed met and came out with their rate decision to the public, and then their 2 o'clock rate decision, 2.30 was their press conference, I tweeted and I said, listen, uh, the market is setting up for a massive short squeeze, essentially if the Fed doesn't make any surprise moves that are really hawkish. And that played out exactly as expected. The setup was that a lot of people were hitting the shorts really hard, committed to the fact that the Fed was miraculously somehow, after they've never been for years, come in and say, hey, you know what? We're really going to shut down this economy. We're really going to go and significantly uh, move things to the to the negative side here uh, of the of the of the spectrum and and be very hawkish. They were hawkish. They did double their overall uh, amount of slowdown of the quantitative easing from fifteen billion to thirty. But okay, and they also talked about a little bit about rates, but not much. They talked about inflation, took away the word transitory. Okay, but it was nothing more than was expected and anticipated in the markets. In other words, the shorts got squeezed dramatically, and that played out. But the question is, were they really hawkish or not? And that short cover was really short-lived because we had a COVID panic again in many areas. And we could identify this because yields came down and stocks like Wayfair and Peloton and 
Zoom, you know, the pandemic plays really did well. You know the drill. And what's happening right now is markets are reacting really violently to many things. And you know what that tells me? When we have these news headlines, these narratives forming, these daily moves that are so incredibly intense, it tells me that the players that are involved are not seasoned or mature traders. They're watching the news. They're reacting at every glance, whether it's on TV or maybe one of the message boards. And the tape reading algos that are out there, I think have been set to be more aggressive or whatever setting is out there to make those reactions that much more intense. And the, in, the, the, the end result is some outsized moves and why we saw the VIX pop to 34 a couple of weeks ago, then drop down to 18, then back up to 22 and a half or so this week. And why we're seeing such incredible moves in many names because there is a lack of maturity and outlook in the markets right now. And when I say maturity, that's not just necessarily about age. It's about seasoning. It's about the, the um, capacity to understand what all beneath the service this means. I think that's really something that's very important to look at and very important to consider right now. Before we move forward and before we get with our guest, I want to mention that we did have this webinar this week, the uh, year in review and outlook of 2022, the trends, the themes, what's going on. It was on Wednesday, huge amount of interest in that. A lot of questions and answers in the Q&A session. Had to cut it short a little bit, um, but we covered a lot of territory. Now, many of you probably couldn't be there because the timing wasn't good and all. Good news, there's a replay available. It's over on thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Just go over to the site. You'll see it right there um, in the, um, I don't know if it's on the front page, actually. You have to go to uh, the the uh, the journal, the blog, et cetera. You'll find it right there. Just dig around. I'll try to make sure to put it in the show notes for this episode. And I'll also try to put a link to the right side where you can see webinar replay That'll be there. So check that out. I think you'll really enjoy that. We really spent a lot of time putting together some of the view of kind of where things are to put it in perspective of where markets have been, where they're going, the trends, the themes, and what's going on. I think you're going to learn a lot from that and get some great information to jog your research process into next year. Let me tell you a bit about our guest before we get to our Danielle DiMartino Booth. She has been on the show before. Great information. And she set out to launch what is known as a market and research revolution, redefining how markets intelligence is conceived and delivered with the goal of not only guiding portfolio managers, but promoting financial literacy. And to build QI, she brought together a core team of investing veterans to analyze the trends and provide critical analysis of what is driving the markets, both in the United States and globally. She's the author of Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America. She's a full-time columnist for Bloomberg and Bloomberg View, a business speaker and a commentator frequently featured on CNBC and Fox News and Fox Business News, BNN Bloomberg, Yahoo Finance, all that. Now, prior to Quill Intelligence, QI, she spent more than nine years at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, where she served as advisor to President Richard Fisher, throughout the financial crisis until his retirement in March of 2015. And her work at the Fed focused on financial stability and the efficacy of unconventional monetary policy, which is kind of where we're at. So 
Let's get to uh, talking with Danielle. So, Danielle, how are you? How you been? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I am great, thanks. I know you've been traveling back and forth. You've been going to you're back in well, you're back in Dallas, right? I am back in Dallas. I'm I'm here. I'm, I've got one tiny day trip left this year, and then I'll be homebound for the rest of the year. Thanks be to God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing you in Fort Lauderdale next time you're here. So let's talk about inflation. You know, one of the things that I've been railing about, and it's not like, oh, wow, yeah, you knew it. This whole this whole word transitory always has bugged me. You know, it's another one of those words, it seems, that we're, you know, the, the Fed is trying to get us to focus on something rather than what is really going on. And I and I decided that, you know, the inflation's always transitory depending on what time frame you look at, right? Well, of course. I mean, there's every reason to anticipate that that because of the slowing growth outlook, and that is exactly what we're seeing, that that you see the, the Fed have to back off because we actually see disinflationary pressures. Not that anybody wants to even begin to think that, but that's exactly what the market is telling us. Right. With, the, with interest rates, uh, what they are and what's happened over the last week. So one of the things is I've been, you know, discussing some of the price stickiness, though. One of the things that the Fed doesn't want us to look at is the reality that while we, let's just use a number, 10% inflation, let's just use that as a, as a discussion point. 10% inflation over a year means that if something goes from a dollar to a dollar ten, right? Well, if we have inflation that goes back to normal, which is, let's say, 2%, that doesn't mean that my price, my widget that I bought for a dollar a couple of years ago, now is $1.10, is going to go back to a dollar. It means it's going to go to a dollar twelve at 2%. So this, this price stickiness, but they've kind of mesmerized everybody with the idea that, well, inflation will go back to where it is, thinking that, well, prices are going to go down. Do you, do you see that? I actually do see prices in certain certain areas coming down. Right, well, like we saw lumber and, and commodities. But do you see it? What I'm saying is the Fed really didn't talk about the price stickiness after inflation that you, you, you mark up the price of something if we see prices go down on the overall, you know, kind of, when we take it all into account, that would be deflationary. They're not going to stand for that, are they? Uh, no, and that puts them in between a rock and a hard place because there are certain areas, and this is something that I've been pounding the table on, and it, it may seem obscure to you, but when you think about the fiscal insanity that we've been going through, and that's really what it is. It's fiscal insanity. It's too much money that you're injecting directly into people's checking accounts. When you think about the, the vestiges of that, and the child tax credit being $550 a month for the average U.S. family. Just bear with me here for a minute. Just when, when you think about that. You go, you go. Well, okay. So that's $550 <laughs> a month for the average U.S. household. 61 million children are, are um, 61 million U.S. children of the 73 million as of 2019 are receiving this tax credit. 90% of U.S. households with children have been getting cash injected into their accounts. And that stops as of December the 15th, because Build Back Bigger, which I call it, is not going to be passed until 2022, we've been told, if it's passed at all. So you're, you have this massive source of cash that's going to be coming away from households, which will be harmful to them. But on the other hand, and this is what I've been pounding the table on, supplemental nutrition um, assistance, that this program, what we used to call food stamps, yeah. uh, those teach, benefits- right? Those benefits were raised by 32% as of October the 1st. And those types of programs are very, very 
sticky and hard to unwind and hard to mm -hmm. back off of. Right. And that's an average of the same, about 550 a month. And this is for if, you, if you've got if you've got two kids in 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 the in the family. Yeah, but you've got more listen, children, even more cash. I, I wonder why meat inflation is twenty two percent year over year. Right. I have no objection with someone who qualifies for that because the qualification of that is, you know, if you ever look at the qualification for for food stamps or what's it called EBTs, the fact is it's 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 pretty significantly poor. I mean, you can't be making money. You know, you it, it's a, if you qualify for food stamps, I think you deserve to get. Uh, you know, whatever a reasonable amount of money is to pay for what you have to, because you're not really making any money, right? Well, I, yes, I, I buy that and I understand that. And I'm not, I'm not quibbling with that. What I'm saying is that if your family's also getting the child tax credit, oh, you have right. one spouse who can stay home with the kids and is getting that child tax credit. They're getting this massive amount of, of food assistance and they don't have to pay for childcare because they're staying out of the workforce. That's another source of wage inflation. It's because some of the lowest income workers have not have not come back into the labor market, nor will they, because they're getting so much assistance that they don't have to. Oh. And that's problematic for the Fed in this transitory type of narrative, even as we see just-in-time inventory become just-in-case inventory, mm -hmm. which is deflationary. We've already heard from the car makers, for example, that the supply that the the, the 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 supply disruption should be unraveled by the first quarter of 2022. So a lot of and, and we're seeing the cyclical area of the economy start to roll over. And we're seeing the same thing in Europe, by the way, which is why Christine Lagarde is so reticent to jump on the we're going to raise rates bandwagon with the Fed, which is unusual, by the way. It's because she sees that the cyclically leading industrial manufacturing sector is already slowing down. I don't know if you could answer this question or not, but what do you think of Christine Lagarde? I, I really never liked her in her last position. And I thought she was really an inappropriate choice for this position. Well, um, it, it's an overtly political choice to mm -hmm. make, right. as opposed to you know what we just saw play out in Washington, D.C., the Game of Thrones at the Fed, uh, which was <laughs> which, which I think Biden was overtly trying to politicize. Yeah. yeah. Which is a huge no-no. Um, so I, I think that she was not the right choice. I think that that had had the ECB been independent as the Fed should have been independent while this huge fight was 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 broken out um, uh, for for the power position between Lael Brainerd and, and Jay Powell, mm -hmm. which I think was a distraction from what Jay Powell needed to be focused on, which was which was tightening and tapering sooner. So right, he, wait, he, and he probably waited because he was in the in the running. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he had, he had other fish to fry, namely yeah. saving his saving his hide. But I think that had that decision been made earlier on in the process, and had it not been so politically charged, and had the Biden administration not been like a deer in the headlights, not being able to figure out what they should do, because Elizabeth Warren so badly wanted a Lael Brainerd type of person running the Fed, so that she could launch you know, MMT and universal basic income and you name it, all, all, all the craziness that is going to push the Fed more in the direction of being not independent. Had we not had that battle up on the Hill, I think that Jay Powell would have been tapering sooner and would have been listening to what we now know is the majority of members of the Federal Open Market Committee advocating for a quicker taper.
So now that we, we did uh, taper, by the way, you talk about the Eurozone, they did hold pat on their rates, but the UK did in fact raise interest rate in a surprise move, especially because we see the pandemic, this uh, Omicron variant starting to really pick up there and they're really freaking out and Boris Johnson bugging out. And they did in fact raise rates by a quarter percent. Well, that was kind of interesting, I thought. It was kind of shocking. Yeah. And that's that's the thing with with the Bank of England is when you when you think about the legacy of Mervyn King and how logical and methodical he his, his approach was, and the fact that, that there really is more dissent, more open dissent on the uh, at the Bank of England, you're not too surprised about the outcome. But it was definitely, I think, especially for the market, it was definitely um, a, a, a shock. Yeah, no question. So let's talk about the latest move, the latest meeting, the discussion to go from 15 billion to 30 billion on cutting back. And looking at, you know, possibly shutting it all down by, what, March, April, and somehow, some for some reason, they're not going to do any rate hikes till after that. But we're moving the rate hikes from this incredible commentary that they came out with during the pandemic of nothing till 2023, which was unbelievable that they would do that, not be data dependent because they didn't know it was coming, to now all of a sudden potentially being priced in for three hikes in 2022. Um, are they getting nervous about these numbers here that we're seeing, like PPI at nine point eight percent, six and a half percent or so on CPI? And oh, we'll I, I think I think they're I, I think I, I, I think nervous has left the barn. Mm. I, I think they're actually running scared. And you know, to get into the weeds here, the biggest impediment to their you know to their best laid intentions is the yield curve, and what the differential between short rate and long rates are telling you about the Fed's capacity to move forward with actual interest rate hikes in 2022. You know, we've seen the difference between the two-year treasury and the 10-year treasury be halved, more than halved. It was it was nearly 160 basis points um, in April, right when that last stimulus check went out and has since been more than cut in half. We're at 77 basis points. And the, the market is telling you that the economy, the, the bond market is telling you that the economy is going to slow faster than the Fed can finish the taper and start to hike interest rates. And I think that that's why you're seeing this kind of existential meltdown in the stock market because they don't know which direction is up. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a really good point that you make there. And that, and that keys off of the fact that they waited too long Maybe it was one month, two months, four months. That keys off the fact that now they have very little ammunition, really do not have the, I don't think they have the stomach to go negative interest rates. Although we have real interest rates that are negative, but I'm talking about truly going negative on Fed funds rates. And then here we are in a situation where they're like, holy crap, what if things get worse? What are we going to do, right? Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. And running, they, they know that the runway is way short. This is like this is like LaGuardia in the snow. Oh no! Oh my God! I'm going to run off the runway right into the river. Right into the river. And that's where the Fed is right now, and 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 you, it, it is unprecedented. And I do not believe that you will see the Fed hike into an inverted yield curve because that would be purposely expediting the economy's path toward recession. And to go back to my food stamps for just a minute, I know you think I'm a dog with a strange bone here. But to go back to to the food stamps for just a minute. If, if you're Joe Q American family, and even if you didn't need the child tax credit, it's been directly deposited into your savings account or checking account, depending on whether you need it or not. Do you necessarily anticipate on January the 31st, February the 15th, whenever you normally file your taxes, 
have you incorporated into your calculus the fact that you're not getting an income tax refund because it's been paid forward in cash in the child tax credit? Mm. So that's what we have, this kind of perfect storm brewing uh, in the first quarter is that the cash that a lot of U.S. households are anticipating receiving is not going to be there. Yeah, this is the political games that are played all the time, right? You know, where we have something that looks really great, but really there's a ga a gotcha on the back end, or you know, the whole thing with Build Back Better. They're talking about it costing I don't know two trillion when it's really six trillion. You know, because if we keep permanent the things that they expect to keep permanent, it's like saying, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm buying this house and it's two thousand dollars a month, pretty cheap. It's going to cost me twenty four thousand. Well, that's for the first year, but that's not the real cost of the thing. Exactly, and. It, it, it appears that that this is you bring up another great source of stickiness. And, you know, if, if you are a if, if you're a landlord and you've been burned by this, this um, the, the, the rental eviction moratorium, mm -hmm. you're going to make sure that you're not in those crossfires. You're not in, in those crosshairs again. So you're going to make sure that the next 12 months lease that you get out of your tenant is going to cover you in case the government goes insane again and calls off collecting rent. Hmm. So that, and, and we know rents have gone up at least 10%. And I'm just talking about apartments. I'm not talking about single family rentals where they've gone up at nearly twice that rate. Hmm. Uh, let me just take a quick break. Where can people find out more information about you, by the way? Quillintelligence.com. Uh, you know, I, I have the stupidest, most low-priced uh, research in the world. Come see <laughs> it's great. It. It's great. It's great stuff. I want to take a moment and talk about Interactive Brokers Global Analysts. This is something that really you need to listen about and think about and check out because if you want to look at how to expand your portfolio, you could use Global Analysts to help you find new global investment opportunities to diversify your portfolio. And it helps you discover undervalued companies that may have greater growth potential. And when you use Global Analyst, you can compare the relative value of global stocks by region, by country, and even by industry. And I think that what you have here is another tool in your toolbox that you really need to check it out. And you know what? The, the inventor, Thomas Pettifee from Interactive Brokers, this is kind of his little or big discovery recently of what he's really digging into and developing. And I really want you to check it out. You can find out why smart investors choose interactive brokers and global analysts by trying global analysts today at ibkr.com slash GA. And I think really that's something that will help you out immensely. We also got to talk about our crowd. You know, all around the world, tech companies are innovating. They're driving returns for investors. And what our crowd does is they analyze companies across the global private market, and they select those with the greatest growth potential, then brings them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity to robotics, quantum computing, and even more. In state-of-the-art labs, startup garages, or anywhere in between, our crowd is identifying innovators. And that will enable you to invest when growth potential is at greatest, early. Our crowd accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in growing tech companies, and many of their members have benefited from the 46 IPOs or sell exits of their investments. Now you can truly diversify your portfolio 
by investing early in innovative private market companies at our crowd. Join the fastest growing venture capital community at ourcrowd.com slash TDI. That's ourcrowd.com slash TDI. So we're talking with Danielle DiMartino Booth. And um, th there's a question that has been bugging me for a while. And um, kind of when we look back at what has gone on since the pandemic, let's not even, let's not bring in the whole discussion about, you know, way back to 2008 or so, but it just seems you mean, like you mean the, 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 the currency where that became a trade war thing that we, we, we shouldn't talk about. Okay. That thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But also we could talk about that, but also I feel like I'm in, in part of this, this gigantic experiment that the fed, all the central bankers got together and said, you know what? Hey, 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 you know, Japan, you haven't been able to get inflation going for years, and you've been trying with all sorts of things. You've been throwing everything you can, buying ETFs on the open market and, and, and negative rates and, and incredible stimulus. And Eurozone saying, I got an idea. We have the perfect time. Let's see if we could really keep interest rates down for some time, do all sorts of crazy tax stuff that's going on, and then throw a massive amount of fiscal stimulus at it. Let's see if we let that sit and simmer for a while, if it finally does something to bring up inflation. I mean, was that some of the talk going on? I, I mean, look, look, that talk, absent fiscal stimulus, we have learned because of the Japanese experience, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So you can try and 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 you you can try and will inflation up, and that's the correct verb to use. I'm going to will inflation up, but you can't do it unless you directly inject money into people's hands. And the way the Federal Reserve is structured, that's against the law. Now they effectively skirted the law with all of the fiscal stimulus that was monetized and sent directly to the people. But their prior attempts at getting inflation up failed outright. Yeah, miserably. Failed miserably. miserably. And that's exactly what's happened in Japan. So, you know, to, to suggest that th this whole meme that they're going to inflate away the debt, that works if you continuously give people money. But then you have a whole separate situation on your hands. Then you have runaway inflation. And, and, and there's nothing you, you can do about that. Yeah, once so, the genie's out of the bottle on inflation, it's hard to cap it, huh? It, again, if you're going to, we have seen, we've taken universal basic income for a test drive in 2020. Yeah. Ah, that's exactly what we did, didn't we? Taking it for a test drive. And you know what? It ignites inflation. It ignites really ugly inflation that you don't want. So, you know, again, but if, if you're trying to inflate away the debt like that, but you slam the economy with true inflation that is enduring and isn't even remotely transitory, much less temporary, in, 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 we're, we're speaking in a number of years here, I mean, who's going to step up to treasury auctions? Right. How are we going to finance the nation's debt? How is corporate America going to roll over all of their massive refinancing needs? And I mean, when, when you think about the, the, the junk bond market being crossing the $3 trillion line this year, you cannot have sustainably high rates in this environment that is riddled with debt. So, so let's kind of jump back to what you mentioned uh, kind of on the, on the, on the slide there for, uh, you talked about the, the currency issues and the manipulation of currencies and what's going on kind of, you know, help me, help me understand a little bit more about what you're thinking. Well, look, when you talk about when, if you want to go back in time, and I think you have to go back in time, when you go back in time to what preceded the 
the trade war, Trump, President Trump's first trade tweet, uh, that, was a, that was a currency war. Yeah. And that was how central bankers were trying to ignite inflation before the pandemic. And again, it didn't work. But the sequencing in world history back to, oh, I don't know, Rome, is that you go currency war, trade war, hot war. Mm. And even though it's an outside, outside, outside possibility, uh, Xi Jinping in 2022 has his eye on the prize of, of, of having a, an FDR repeat. He wants that third term. And the People's Congress does not occur until October, November. We don't, we don't know the exact date until it's closer to that time. But he's going, for, he's going for a lifetime appointment is what he's doing. Well, he is, but he's got to get that third term first. Mm -hmm. And that means that he's got to prop up the economy and make everybody happy so that he has the, the, he has the support that he needs. So if, if the currency war aspect is to kick up and if the Fed is, tries and, and succeeds to, to tighten, that's going to make things very difficult mm -hmm. for Xi Jinping. Right. And we have to focus on, we have to go back to the currency war aspect for the purposes of, we've, you know, Xi Jinping's got to have a good Olympics in February 2022, and he's got to have a great groundswell of support in order to secure his, I want to be a dictator for the rest of my life, come the fall. Hmm. So if the only thing that can really mess up his best intentions, because he's taking the money from the billionaires and he's trying to redistribute it widely so that he gets, so that he prevents social unrest, you have to make sure that the dollar doesn't depreciate so much that it slams your industrial sector. Yeah. And, 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 and try to make sure, and that's why they have a zero tolerance of the COVID to make sure that you keep your manufacturing running. If in fact the global economy continues to, to run pretty well. Exactly. And it, things are complicated greatly. If you see things like Mexico raising interest rates and emerging markets, you know, it, Turkey notwithstanding, uh, trying to support their own currencies by raising interest rates, which we've seen, especially in Eastern Europe as well. So, you, you know, when, when you have these cross dynamics, cross currents going, and the industrial sector is slowing, we've seen it in Europe. We've seen it in the United States, the Philadelphia Fed, which is the oldest Federal Reserve manufacturing survey, mm -hmm. we saw future inventories, we, excuse me, we saw future backlogs, which is a gauge of future demand. We saw those, they, they've been negative for four months in a row now. Yeah. And that is, that, that is the chemicals, I'm getting wonky again, but the, the most leading of all commodities are chemicals. They're at the beginning of the manufacturing pipeline. So when you see the Philly Fed start to weaken, and even future employment is... Even future employment has turned negative. When you see these things occur, you know that the industrial sector globally is slowing. Yeah. Pull up a chart of BASF, the chemicals company. That's the biggest chemicals company by a factor of 20 billion in revenue, bigger than the second biggest chemicals company. Its stock price has been down since May. And these things are telling you that, that as, as politicized as Christine Lagarde is, She's at least reading the tea leaves and saying, I'm not going to be capable of tightening into 
an industrial recession yeah. turns it into a real recession. Right. Let me just, uh, on the last few minutes we have left, I just want to talk about credibility. And I want to talk about, um, you know, what happened this year with the trading and disclosure and then the, hey, you know what? Uh, yeah, maybe they shouldn't have been doing it, but it's okay. They're just going to retire and there's not going to be any hand slapping. There's not going to be the clawbacks, no penalties. And what is going on? Well, look, I have a really hard time talking about this because I was I had class one clearance at the Federal Reserve. The new uh, strictures that are being imposed happen to be the old ones, the ones that I had to deal with. So moreover, the individual signing off on these financial statements happens to be the chair of a committee on the Federal Reserve Board that has been signing off on these financial disclosures for years. Her name is Lil Brainerd. So there's a little bit of hypocrisy here. Oh, yeah. The types of <laughs> trades that Robert Kaplan was, was engaged in were never permissible at the Fed, at least when I was there. So for them to say, we're going to rein in, you know, any, any type of, you know, any flirtation with insider trading, that's insanity to me because it was never allowed in the first place. Right. At least I was there. Right. And the person who would have benefited the most from those disclosures being leaked she was in the running to be the chair of the Fed. So it's all too convenient for me, especially when we know that there's rampant insider trading in Congress. Which is allowed. Which is allowed. But it's not the, allowed at the Fed. It's supposed they to be. Voted, they, they, but, but, but Congress voted it into law for themselves. Well, that's how that works. <laughs> you know, you're, no, but you're right. <laughs> it, it, the, the, optics, the last year of optics for the Fed in terms of them being apolitical and, and independent have been horrific. And you don't want to see things like Rich Clarida, who, by the way, is still on the board. You know, why did Rosengren and, and Kaplan have to step down and Clarida got to stay when some of his trading was just as egregious? You have to ask these questions. Nobody, they're, they're very inconvenient. Nobody wants to ask these questions, but they have to be asked. Well, they and, can be asked, but then they're going to go, come with the Fed independence and they'll have their own watchdog, which is kind of like, what? How does that work? That's like, that's like me having the ultimate compliance on my office. You know, no other regulators. I'll appoint somebody to do compliance in my office, and they'll penalize me if I do something wrong, which is like, okay, okay, I'll go along with that. The problem I have with it is, you know, we know that they are not allowed to um, get involved in, in, in bank, buying a bank stock or bank bonds or government bonds and things of that nature. But during, during the crisis, it was Caterpillar. It was General Motors. Unbelievable. The Fed was giving, right. the Fed was giving um, you know, direct support. Right. Unbelievable. I'm just saying, I, I, just hard to deal with all this. So, and then with the, the news of what happened with Japan this week, when they admitted that they fudged some of the economic numbers for years to make them look better. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It, that's just that's just insane, especially given how weak growth has been already. And they're saying that what, what they're basically saying is, as bad as you know our policies have been. <laughs> We, 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 we sort of kind of fudge the data and our policies are even more ineffectual. You're like, wow, that's saying something. I mean, you gotta, you, you gotta try it that. But last, last point on this, I just want to mention for those listening out there, the fact is these are the numbers that we have to deal with though. Everybody's dealing with these numbers, whatever they are, whether Japan or here or whether real or not. If you, if you, if you go along in life and you're an investor and you say, Hey, none of these numbers are real. You're never going to get anywhere because you're not going to do anything. But the fact is that's we all are dealing with. That is the basis for decisions all up and down the chain. So just remember that, and that's how decisions are made on investing. Uh, Danielle DiMartino Booth, uh, her book, Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America, which i uh, got to give a double thumbs up for that now, as well as Quill Intelligence will have all the information 
on the show notes for episode number 745, 745 on the Thanks so much for uh, being down here. I look forward to seeing you next time in Fort Lauderdale. I look forward to seeing you in person. We're, we're going to take that boat out. Oh, yes, we are. All right. I'll see you soon. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. As we are entering into the holidays, there's a lot to learn. Make sure to pick up some great books out there, some education, find some other podcasts that will help you understand, learn more about the area of finance, because that's what it's all about, right? It's all about becoming educated to an area that will save you all sorts of grief in the future by understanding what you need to do to be financially independent. And that's what we do each and every week here on The Disciplined Investor. We're going to wrap it up right there. Great guest this week. Don't forget about last week's guest, guest Ross Gerber. He was really very informational and informative on EVs and weed and quantum computing and all sorts of other things that we talked about uh, related to the um, – the, the area of metaverse, kind of cool stuff. Listen, thanks so much for joining me. We're going to wrap it up a little bit early today as we enter into the holidays. Thank you so much uh, for all that you do for me. If you want to get in touch, go over to thedisciplineinvestor.com. Click on the Ask Andrew button. Click it on over to me, and I'll shoot you back a reply. Or maybe even we'll have your question on the show. How about that? And I'll see you again next week. Thanks so much. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.